Put on your big Hollywood sunglasses and light the torch, because it's cellar time. Welcome to the Crack Cellar. As the prophecy was once fed opium-laced wood alcohol. I'm Two-Spirit Penguin Daniel. That fucking movie sucked. I'm Broadcaster Nichols. <laughs> wow. Uh, broadcaster, um, before we get to the movie that you apparently do not like very much, I have some, some big news for you. You ready? Have your mind blown. Bradley Cooper is Canadian. <laughs> uh, in, in a shot heard around the world, Sony has purchased your beloved Bungie, the people that once sent you a frozen steak in the mail broadcaster, they're now owned by the evil empire of video games. What do you think? Are you familiar with the Ouroboros? <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, familiar with the term mutually assured destruction. I feel like that was the second to last move in the end of, towards the end of the story. I think Bungie is going to be the star that explodes and destroys our whole universe. They went Microsoft owned, then split to be independent, purchased by Activision Blizzard, split again, Activision Blizzard purchased by Microsoft, and they go on to be purchased by Sony. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know, dude. That feels like some stars aligning type shit. I feel like it's weird to me, man. Like this whole th- day is upon us. This whole thing with Bungie is really weird to me. Uh they get out of Microsoft ownership with like just in a very unprecedented manner. Like Microsoft just cut them loose, said, you know what? fine, just leave. Like, we don't want anything from you. You just go, no penalties, no, like, we're retaining some of your talent or, like, any of the things you'd think that they would be like, well, you got to give us something. They they just let Bungie out scot-free. And Bungie immediately... Yeah. They, they kept Halo outright. Bungie didn't have any ownership of that IP that made him famous. Yeah, but they don't they don't give a fuck about Halo anymore anyway. They they didn't want to make any more Halo games. That was a favor to them. They're like good. <laughs> well, they want to make Halo games. What do you mean? Three four three immediately took the mantle up. They made Halo four and five. I saw I saw interviews with Bungie uh after Halo Reach came out where like the developers were like, Yeah, I've made a lot of Halos now. <laughs> like you could just tell in the way they talked about it that they were oh, like they ready didn't. to move on. Yeah, Bungie didn't want I think Bungie threatened just to dismantle and all the people would have went their way. So I think they just were like, All right, well because three four three existed around i think they were created around halo 2 or something like that to help bungie out so 343 was like sapping knowledge from them for quite some time right by the time you know that happened yeah my point is is that from halo for from uh bungie's perspective them keeping halo they they really don't i don't think they gave two fucks about that 
uh, the thing that cracks me up, though, is that they just immediately jumped into bed with Activision after they just get this unprecedented release from Microsoft. They're like, oh, we're going to jump right in bed with someone else. Thought that was weird. It was pretty immediate. No, dude. I mean, Destiny 1 happened, and then it, I mean, the Activision merger happened, like, what? Right after Destiny 1 came out. No, 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 no. It was before Destiny 2. It was? Yeah, Destiny 2 launched on the Blizzard launcher, man. Destiny 1 didn't. Destiny no, 2 did. Destiny 2 did. You just said that they merged after Destiny 2 came out. Oh. They did not. They merged way before that. They. You're, I want to say right. that the merger happened like in the first year of release of Destiny 1. I think. No. Like right after the Wolves expansion came out. Like the Iron Wolves or whatever that... Whatever that expansion was, I quit on. You know what I'm talking about, right? No, I don't. What? <laughs> it's the second expansion right after Rise of Crota. Well, what the fuck was it? Oh, Rise of Iron? Okay, I guess. Whatever. That one. I'm pretty sure the merger happened right after that. So it was early. Couldn't handle the the rough waters of self-ownership and self-responsibility. They had to have the tentacles of some huge multi-billion dollar corporation handling their business, broadcaster. I thought, you know what? It's kind of weak. It's kind of weak. Then (laughs) they get out of Activision Blizzard scot-free. And I'm just like, wait a second, what? How do they keep doing this? Do they have like some crazy blackmail technique that they just keep employing? And I yeah, it's kind of weird. You know, this time for sure they're gonna they learn their lesson this time, broadcaster. They're gonna stay by themselves. They're gonna do their own thing. They're gonna go their own way. And now Sony owns them. In yeah, the Moses. So, you ever played that game on the phone, Osmosis? No, I think that's what it's called. You just like a little amoeba, and you start. <laughs> Making bigger amoebas until you're you're the only thing mm-hmm. in the petri dish. That's <laughs> that's what's happening in the gaming industry, kids. Yeah, Roblox yeah. is going to take us all. <laughs> so I've heard some debate about this, and I, I'm curious what you think. On the surface, this looks like an obvious revenge purchase from Sony after Microsoft bought Activision. But other people have chimed in and they claim that, no, there's no way they could have got the the deal done that fast. Their stance on the issue is that you cannot do a deal like this in one week, which is how long it took from the purchase from Microsoft to the Sony purchase was about one week. What do you think? Because to me, this is obviously a revenge purchase. And I think that Sony overpaid hardcore for them and that's why the deal got done so fast i think they just showed up at bungie's door and they're like listen we're gonna do this deal we're gonna pay you three times what you're worth you're gonna sign right now or we're not gonna do it and they're like fuck it we're gonna sign right now that's my that's my take what do you think well i mean i don't know about any of that last stuff but i could tell you that it it just because worse the the out the the public visual outcome of these deals 
happened at a certain time doesn't mean that there was corporate espionage and chatter between like you know middlemen between these companies telling certain people that these deals were going to go down so it's very possible that the bungee purchase by sony was definitely retaliation they could have easily found out that that deal was happening long before any of the public found out you know so just because it takes a certain amount of time for these deals to go down doesn't necessarily rule out the fact that it was a direct retaliation purchase yeah. So then you're with me. You don't. There's zero percent chance this wasn't a revenge purchase. No doubt about it. <laughs> no doubt about it. But I mean, I don't think it, I didn't really look into the value of Bungie or anything like that. But I I wouldn't really call it overpurchased because Bungie's huge and Destiny's huge. I mean, Destiny is by most pe- gamers standards a dead game like no one really talks about it it's not big on any of the game streaming websites but it still brings in like 300,000 active players a day so yeah that's but... like that's like an off season like when expansions and shit come out like it's popping yeah i dude i okay Listen, so, but, I know just, you're a fanboy. No, no, well, hear me out. That's just Destiny 2. They're buying Bungie in their IP. So they get to do whatever the fuck they want with Destiny after this. They, right. could, dissolve, they could fucking dissolve Bungie. <laughs> just to fucking start making Des- give Destiny to From Software. Now that is an idea. Hey, you From know. your lips to <laughs> Sony's executives' ears, Broadcaster <laughs> Nichols. Give me Izaki in the room. Stat, I got cigars and whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing for me. First of all, $3.6 billion for a single developer. I don't think there's a single development studio on the planet that is worth $3.6 billion. None. Zero. I don't care who. I don't think From Software is worth $3.6 billion, And they're basically my favorite developer at this point. That's that's just astronomical for one single developer. Like the Activision Blizzard deal was crazy, but you got to think there's like fucking thirty development studios in that deal, and maybe I mean, the Bungie deal is a fraction of the Activision Microsoft deal. It is, but it's for one developer. And the thing with Activision that's Blizzard true. is they have active revenue, like in the billions. Like they their revenue generation is in the billions. Sure. So fucking bungees is like not even I don't even think they make in the hundreds of millions. I think they're super low in revenue generation. Well, I mean, you could be totally true about that. I think I think these deals are long term and 3.6 billion for what I can see a long term future of Sony acquiring Bungie is nothing. In fact, when I think about Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard, in the long-term plan, and the seventy billion they paid, pretty much for them, I think Sony's better off because a they're more focused. They have one developer, and really, from a, a like mainstream standpoint, one IP that they can focus on. But really, they have a few. Like Marathon is a huge connection to the Halo and Bungie universe that they own now. So. <laughs> 
I oh that's I think, funny. I see what so, you're saying there. They could submarine some Halo even though they don't own it into the- dude, exactly, <laughs> dude. Like they could straight up like start like getting. Anyways, there. That's just a little pipeline, well, a little theory pipeline. Well, I agree with you. If you look at Microsoft's history with like they acquired Bethesda, how long ago now? Uh, dude, a year we've ago, gotten, right? We've gotten one like 15 second trailer of a mountain saying skyrim 5 or sorry sorry elder scrolls 5 uh-huh. <laughs> all right skyrim 5 that's a, you're underselling <laughs> are, that one there's at least yeah. 15 skyrim I, yeah probably. i was gonna say i think they're on skyrim 7 now <laughs> anyways nonetheless you get my point yeah and they're they're still on starfield or whatever the hell that game is on we still haven't seen the full footage of that there's all kinds of stuff. So Microsoft it doesn't really have a strong history of handling their existing star-studded IP catalog, not a, let alone getting a huge company's catalog like Activision Blizzard that they themselves, Activision Blizzard I'm speaking about, can't even fucking get their catalog going. So it, when you really look at the burden of the IP catalog they're getting over there and history proving that they have a lack of talent to even get one game out the door in a proper time and let alone it have good feedback. You know, you see where I'm going with this? Like, I feel like Sony looks stronger. They feel stronger. And this purchase seems more focused. Like they're ready. They got a hammer ready to hit a nail where Microsoft is like trying to do all this stuff to put on a show. Like, look at all these Fucking look at all the stuff we have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I just I I don't view Bungie with a lot of respect anymore. I think they're a shell company, basically. And I feel like Sony well, yeah, just bought a shell company. I do agree with you on like what all everything you just said. And it just further convinces me that this is a revenge purchase because yeah. I just I don't think anyone would pay this unless it were for personal reasons like this. I think that Bungie would have taken one billion if they if let's just say this was a year ago and none of the Microsoft purchases have happened yet. And Sony just came out of nowhere and said, we want to buy you for one billion. I think they would have taken it a year ago. Maybe I think they would have been like, oh, we're getting one over on these guys, too. We're not worth that much. <laughs> but I don't know. It's Maybe I'm just tripping and I'm not respecting them enough, but. When I look at Destiny 2 and I look at what they're doing and how, like, they can't make new content and they just struggle making new content and, like, you hear hear these rumors like, oh, it takes 18 hours to load a map in the Destiny 2 editing engine. It's just, like, there's so much weirdness with them. I just, I don't know, man. Yeah, well, I think but the tale... the story of Bungie is kind of like the story of Icarus. You know, it's <laughs> yes. just it's kind of most of the stories in the shadows and the public can't see it. But I mean, I've always gotten the vibes from Bungie when I was a teenager. Like they're, you know, they're always an edgy company. They always had like a manifest, a company manifesto on their website and like try to take over the world. And like they had weird, Easter eggs that span decades, you know, stuff like all kinds of weird stuff. And I think they just were eventually they got caught thinking their shit didn't smell, you know, like, yeah, 
I think they thought they could leave Microsoft and be big, bad, independent, you know, developer studio and change the industry, which I kind of hope they did, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of pretty. I think that's pretty much the story of Bungie. You know, that's why they had to go with Activision Blizzard eventually, and then they eventually left again, which kind of proves my point where they still had that like independent spirit. They're like, all right, round two, guys, we can do it this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, my biggest takeaway from all this is uh, if Microsoft decides to make Call of Duty an Xbox exclusive, <laughs> Destiny instantly <laughs> becomes a Sony exclusive. This is mutually yeah. assured destruction. This well, that and that's kind of what we're talking war. about, right? The whole point of retaliation <laughs> purchase, because that's what the retaliation purchase really implies. You know, yep. it's, it's it's a safeguard for exactly that. Indeed. Uh, speaking of Bungie, uh, you know, there's a, a little company that could, that took over Halo, recently broadcaster called 343 Studios. And, uh, you know, they might have released a flawed game, but, you know, they're going to release a perfect TV series now to make up for a broadcaster. Halo, the series. Are you ready to watch the trailer? Yes. 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 Paramount Plus. Well, John mm. Luke, strong, strong Asian woman. You. Maybe Q will show up. That might be a boy. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, dude. Don't assume their gender. Or. Master Chief, huh? Oh, yeah. I wonder who's financing this film. Definitely <laughs> Chinese money. <laughs> well, Master Chief is in it, so that's cool. Ooh, I guess. That's Halsey. Halsey's pretty hot. I yeah. can dig it. Oh, pink hair. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, the sword. Yes, I'm in. I like how the elites look. Look pretty good. Ooh, yeah. Definitely taking their liberties with the armor. Forces appear to be excavating some kind of object. This isn't video game accurate, guys. When I touched the object, Ooh. I felt something. I like the effects. I don't like the motherfucker's no. voice. <laughs> <laughs> what they did to us. Oh. That guy, he's in everything now. decided to help me. Why would a Spartan do that? What does one do with a superhuman you're not sure you can trust? Damn, is that Keys? Hello, Master Keys. I'm Cortana. What? Where's hot Cortana? Get, this is get bullshit. Get her out of here now. We need a... <laughs> bullshit. Can we get the Sonic the Hedgehog treatment with Cortana, please? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who the fuck is that? What is this music? Oh, yeah. Strong female. Cortana. I'm gonna need you Was now. that the chick from G4 that just like ruined G4's comeback? <laughs> you mean Frostcun? <laughs> yeah. Or what the fuck her name? Is that what her name is? Frostcun? Frost? Frostcun? Frostcun? So sorry. A, a female cover of "Feel It in the Air Tonight." Cool. So there was a lot, of, a lot of woman like, power in that trailer, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, <laughs> a lot of yeah, woman I, power. I love parts like this. Let me see what part this is on here. <laughs> uh, right around 144. Dude, this shit kills me. And they can't write a story anymore. 
They just can't. <laughs> they can't do it anymore. They're just like, how? I can, dude, these room, these conversations in these rooms, man. There's like, so we have to have a woman with short hair, and she <laughs> has to be powerful, or maybe even more powerful than the character everyone's paying to see. How do we make that happen? So in episode two, she's going to murder Master Chief and take his helmet. She looks like she's in control of, well, those worms. I don't know. Those worms could be the worms that the hunter in the Covenant are made out of. I don't know. Or they're like flood worms. Who knows? But she's clearly in control of them. She's clearly strong and independent. <laughs> she clearly and doesn't need no man. <laughs> doesn't need no master chief. Yeah, and she has that haircut, that haircut that all of like the I am woman hear me roar people on the <laughs> internet use now. It's where it's shaved on the sides and the back and they have like a weird little It's almost like a mullet but not quite cuz it's not long enough to be a mullet. It's like if you'd made a mullet and then shaved the back and cut cut it so it didn't quite go all the way down the back and it like just waves up top. What yeah. what is that fucking haircut? I don't know. Lesbian shit. <laughs> you, you never see it in real life, but if you go on to woke YouTube, you'll see it once every two seconds. Well, broadcaster, how psyched are you? Are you ready? No. For Halo the series. <laughs> First of all, I'm just I'm going back through this thing, right? <laughs> don't relive the trauma. Don't I'm, I'm noticing some well, some some things that just kind of uh, stick out to me. And these are things I saw on the internet floating around. And the first thing I know is at the very end of the trailer, when uh, they're showing the battle rifles, there's a guy with a pistol in his hand, right? And there's a very famous pistol in Halo 2, just as famous as the BR. It's, you know, it could be the Halo Magnum from CE. It could be the sidekick from Halo. It could be numerous pistols right mm. but he's actually holding a real life pistol it looks like a beretta maybe it's totally a modern pistol mm -hmm. it's like so <laughs> hey they it's, don't have that big of a budget man come on i didn't see it but there's like a meme going around that says there's a chevy tahoe in this trailer are somewhere. you kidding me oh <laughs> yeah, i missed that but i don't i, I, I didn't, I didn't see it either so <laughs> but if there is, if that's not an actual troll, then goddamn, they got some work to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the thing, the only thing about the trailer I liked was the Covenant using the sword. Uh, that little two-on-one oh, yeah. fight was pretty sick. With the, the that's actually where the Chevy Tahoe is. I just oh, paused it. There. Oh God, are the you Chevy kidding me? Ta the Chevy Tahoe is in the background when they're swinging at Master Chief. You are fucking kidding me. <laughs> It's right there, dude. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> How does that happen in 2022? There's no fucking way that car matches anything from that part, part in time in the universe. They could There's no fucking way. Dude. Oh, yeah. They have... Yeah, that was the other thing I remember. Someone was saying there's like... The Resistance has AKs. Huh? Yeah. They have AK rifles. Okay. Yeah, you rewind. Look at it. Yeah, they have AK rifles. This is shovelware. Okay, this is fucking shovelware. This isn't real. This is just well, a joke. 
if you really look at it, I think they got repurposed golf carts as some of their vehicles <laughs> in this shot, too. Okay, I think what we need to do is sort of reframe our expectations. Maybe we need to watch this more of a more as like a, the way that we watch Resident Alien, perhaps. You know what I mean? Like, let's reframe our expectations here. We're not watching Dune. We're watching Resident Alien. <laughs> Uh yeah. This is a comedy. <laughs> Life is a comedy. <laughs> Holy shit, broadcaster. I don't know what to say right now. When you told me that Chevy was in there, I thought you were bullshitting me. <laughs> I really thought that you were bullshitting me. <laughs> My god. Is that yeah, that's uh all the opportunities they could have had to scrub that. Like you could have CG'd that out of the trailer so easily. On such a small budget, the the fact that they didn't to me means this is like ridiculously low budget, or it, they it want it there. They actually want, want uh, it I'll, there. Uh, no, I just want to be clear. They definitely do want it there. Oh, like God. it had to. It had like aged debris over it. They clearly wanted people to know that it had been there for like you know a year or two, or it's been broken down like ever since you know the resistance started stockpiling or whatever happened there, you know, mm. which means it only was there for like in, you know, a time span of decades, not fucking, you know, centuries where the Chevy Tahoe, when it came from. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I think I've said this before. Creatively <laughs> bankrupt is, uh, <laughs> What I call most of these people that make this schlock. I don't even, yeah, I don't even know what, what, why are they even making this? If you can't do this right, why do it at all? This is not Halo. Dude, they've been trying to make a Halo TV series for so long. For so long, man. I mean, they've been talking about a Halo TV series since Halo 3, I think. And it's just never got off the ground. I think this is just someone over at Microsoft has a real hard on for this TV series. <laughs> oh, man. Well, maybe you should have fucking talked to Elon Musk and got a couple cyber trucks or something. No shit, what dude. No fuck? shit. That would have been a really great plug. Dude, and awesome everyone plug. would have loved it, too. No one would be memeing it. Like, they'd be like, oh, there's a Chevy truck. They'd be like, oh, dude, they got cyber trucks from Elon. They Everyone would be psyched about it. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, man. That makes you, I mean, it just sets the bar, right? You're like, well, fuck. What are the warthogs going to look like in close-up and scenes? What are, are there going to be any, uh, like, spacecrafts or yeah. flying vehicles or yeah and let's, <laughs> let's not forget that uh what do you think the demographic for halo is like uh, gender wise it's probably like 98 percent male two percent female do you think that's about right uh you'd be surprised okay let's go 90 yeah. 10 let's go 90 10 yeah does that I'd sound good that. well let's go 90 10 okay let's go 90 10 there were 90 10 females to male in that trailer there was like 15 women and one man in a helmet that you actually couldn't see he was a man. What yeah. the fuck is going on here, broadcaster? I don't know, dude. I don't get it. <laughs> what? <laughs> and of course, they go with the worst version of Cortana. 
just like, man. Yeah, and the thing is, is like, I actually work directly with like two, like they just got, they both, like one just turned 21 and one just turned uh, 18, I think. So he's still a teenager technically, right? And these kids want nothing to do with Halo. Fuck, of course. Right? It's they, boomer they, shit. They play, they play video games, though. One plays, like, Forza all the time. The other one plays Warzone. You know, they like video games. But when every time I bring up Halo, they're just like... One of them, like, always just kind of tries to clown on me. But he's fucking looks like Sideshow Bob from fucking The Simpsons. <laughs> so he has no ground to stand on. And I remind him of that every time. <laughs> but nonetheless, the other way, it's just... It, they think it's like they have this attitude like it's a boomer game type of thing you know so it's like this tv show which is clearly aimed to garner new fans is nonsense no one care like you these companies need to learn that these old brands that make them money are slowly going to make them less and less money and it's their responsibility to make those existing brands is go- or keep those existing brands going as well as they can to make as much money off of them as possible, knowing who their demographics are. Meanwhile, using that money to fund new IPA, IPs, which new fans will oh, then no. grow I'd rather up have new under IPAs and from like them at this point. Yeah, you're right. Let's go with that actually. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but you get my point. Here. It's just, I do. It's, it's so dumb of these people to be like, let's take this brand that all these people that are now 30 and 40 like and try to package it for teenagers that are on TikTok <laughs> or whatever you know it's <laughs> it's it is pure retardation i don't understand what's happening i don't i'm not sure if this is just total ignorance or if it's one of the if it's like uh with what's happened with newspapers and the media where they know that they lose money. They don't care that they lose money. They're there for the propaganda purpose, not to make money. So I don't know if it's like that now in the TV and movie industry, or if it's just like these guys are so out of touch and they just hear some, you know, fucking 25 year old out of fucking BYU or not BYU. BYU is way more base than that. Uh, Arizona State. Some 25 year old blonde chick from Arizona State who's like, oh, yeah, uh, that haircut is the hotness and everyone wants all women in their shows. And that is where all the money is. And then like some CEOs just like, let's go with that. I, I-, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think these people are extremely out of touch. I think that they have it's it's just sheer arrogance. They think they have they have this golden goose egg. The torch gets passed in the corporate ladder, and eventually, these people that are so far removed from the creation, the original creation of these golden goose eggs, that they just think they can keep milking it indefinitely, not investing anything into them. And that's where all these companies have failed. All the Goliaths, all these giant beasts that you thought would ne- would just, you know, go 20 years back and you're just like, man, when we're 30, if they're still making, if it's Call of Duty 12 or whatever they're on now, technically, you think 
man dude the features that they'll have developed and like all this shit it's gonna be insane dude we don't even have some of the features they made 10 years ago dude like they're struggling on a fundamental level to make something as even as great as they made 10 15 20 years ago and and it's the that's the business model now though that's the thing that's sinister about it just look at your boys at destiny 2 bungie they're literally gating their content that's been out for fucking five years saying, oh, this is now in the vault. And one day we're going to resell it to you again in the future when you forget you paid for it before. It is sinister. Yeah. I don't even think they fucking gave people enough time to forget about it. There's fucking lap dogs, dude. They. They suck it up. They, yeah, it's crazy. I, when I saw that 30th anniversary bundle when we were going to hop back into Destiny 2. It's 30th anniversary. It's 29.99, you know, a dollar per year, get it? Mm-hmm. And they're they're vaulting a very famous weapon you got for free with Destiny 1. They're and they're vaulting they're releasing two dungeons they gave you in year 5 of Destiny 2 from the vault. So mm-hmm. they they made you pay for content, then they took it away and they're giving it back to you for a price. That's crazy. All within like less than three years. This wasn't even, <laughs> dude. That's just crazy to me. It is. And uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think Bungie thinks about this TV show? Uh, because clearly they have nothing to do with it. They don't own Halo, as we discussed earlier. But you know they have some some thoughts on it, right? Like it, it, they did create Halo. Do you think that they are happy with this <laughs> trailer? Do you think they are upset with it? Or do you think they are just so sick of Halo they don't give two shits? I mean, I don't know who works at Bungie anymore. Dude, are, is I it just a total think, shell company now? Is there no one left from the original team? I think there's like one person at Bungie and 3-4, like Joe Staten at 3-4-3. He was at Bungie for a while. He left with Bungie from Microsoft to create Destiny. You know, he was the one of the guys that made the original Destiny storyline that people theorize about to this day. Mm-hmm. And he, then he left. Um, I think that's kind of the situa- situation at both companies, though. I think Bungie has like one old school Halo guy there. Maybe like no more than three. Like a really limited vanguard at both companies. But Sad. none of like the people when you think about the people that made Halo, like the the handful of people that people would agree are the lifeblood of Halo, those people aren't around. Yeah, you know, like uh, I think it, something Leto, I forget his name. He made that shitty game Disintegration that we played. <laughs> uh, oh God, Disintegration. Josh Leto, John Leto, I don't know, I forget. And then there's Chris Lee, I think was his name. Christopher, not Christopher Lee, he's an Asian guy. Chris Lee, I think was his name. Um, And then there's Joe Staten. And then um, there's one more famous guy I'm thinking of. Uh, Oh, yeah, Marty O'Donnell, of course. I think the point here is that no one at Bungie really cares anymore about Halo because none of them actually worked on Halo. (laughs) I have no fucking clue. All right, that that works. Uh, Man, uh, sad, sad stuff, broadcaster. Uh, my final question to you on this vaunted new Halo television series is, 
as you know, here in the Crack Cellar, we have crackpot theories all the time. Uh, it's basically what we do, broadcaster. And today, I would like to ask you, what is your crackpot theory about the future of the Halo television series? What absurd level do you think this TV show will go to? Absurd level? I don't think it's going to be absurd at all. They're just going to rewrite the origin story of how certain stuff happened, and it's going to make it one season, 1,000%, and get canceled. <laughs> Dude, that's that's like the normie take, though. That's, everyone has that take. We all know it's going to get canceled. <laughs> Come on, man. Re- dig deep. <laughs> All right. Listen. I know it hurts you too much. You John got so Spartan many spectacular awards. <laughs> John Spartan 117 is going to take his hot, steamy helmet off. <laughs> and digital. You, you guys ever seen Demolition Man? Remember when Sylvester Sloan was mind-fucking uh, Sandra Bullock? That's all He's I can gonna remember. do that with Cortana, and then the real Cortana, Halsey, <laughs> is gonna find it or like feel it in some weird mind meld, scientific type shit, you know. And then she's gonna get a sexual attraction for the boy she abducted long ago and turned into a super soldier to fuck up the resistance. Yeah, that's right, kids. John one one seven was made to fuck up domestic terrorists, not the Covenant. <laughs> But it was convenient that aliens came around and united humanity just in time for people not to die by other humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that reminds me of And the, I think uh... that's exactly what this series is going to try to rewrite. <laughs> that whole idea that Spartans were made originally to kill other humans. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's uh, that's what that Ronald Reagan speech was, right? You know, back in the day. Imagine if an alien species came down and attacked us, how it would bring us all together. And then Bungie's like, you know what? We're going to run with that, Ronald. Thank you. Well, I thought we were in agreement that Bungie was a CIA operation. They were funded back in Harvard or whatever. <laughs> back in Harvard, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's a DARPA spinoff. You guys, the, the, the people and the, the teams would get it. <laughs> what office do I have to hold? Broadcaster, I have my own crackpot theory about Halo the series. And uh, it all stems from the Chevrolet. You know what, Broadcaster? Think about the cornerstone of what you just discussed with the origination of the Spartan. That there was a counter-terrorist unit. Now, think about this. What did terrorists in the Middle East drive around in? Toyota, Toyota trucks. It's it's like infamous. that All the terrorists drive Toyota Tundras or whatever those little small Toyota trucks are. You've seen hundreds of pictures. You've seen videos. They all drive them. Everyone always wonders, where the fuck do these terrorists get all these Toyota trucks? And Toyota's like, well, fuck. Uh, we don't know. And look at us. <laughs> It's just one of those things where you're just like, okay, well, whatever. Uh, I think this is no, this is no coincidence, broadcaster. I think Toyota is funding this television series. I think it's all Toyota money, and I think this is what they said. They said, "You're going to give the terrorists Chevys," and Paramount Plus was like, 
as long as we can fill the cast with strong woman, you got a deal. And we are going to see the Spartans, led by Master Chief. We're going to see them ride these Chevys. And you're going to be like, wait a second. I thought the terrorists drive the weird trucks with the sand damage. Then they're gonna then they're gonna be like, that's right, guess what, motherfucker? The Spartans are the terrorists and the strong woman are the heroes, and we're gonna see like strong woman one through five do a seance and like summon lightning above Master Chief and just vaporize his fleet of Chevys. And uh that's the end, broadcaster. And then at the very end, you're gonna see in the very end of the credits of this show promotional consideration provided by Toy Lesbians of America. <laughs> Lesbians of America and Toyota. Okay. I mean my, my <laughs> idea is better. I mean <laughs> you're like, well <laughs> mine definitely has more pizzazz, more sexual tension, motion. <laughs> um <laughs> You well, know, character building. Um, do I tell and you what? Destroying, I would say. If at any point in this show they kill the woke Cortana and they replace her with the was it Halo Five or Four Cortana, the one that was like the fucking slut who wore a bikini and was hot as fuck. Which one was You're that? thinking of Halo Two and Three Cortana? <laughs> no, it was Four. I think it was Four. Maybe I'm pretty sure it was Four. The one in two and three was hot, but the one in four was like, uh, like literally like a stripper, if I recall. Like it was, it was like you looked at, it, you're like, oh, the, this is a sex sells thing. Like it was really on the nose. Still does. I wish they'd get that. Yeah, I, I if they do that, I think they could redeem this TV series with that one act. You're just like some hacker goes and like this isn't the real Cortana. We have to. You know, Neo from the Matrix shows up and starts doing his Mr. Anderson shit on the '90s computer. No, they and... don't even have to do that, dude. They don't even have to do that. Remember, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> that's just a trailer, guys. We can. It's that's all digital. We can make this work. All right. Remove. Yes. Let's just open up that blouse a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Every everyone listening to this, go on Twitter and do at Bungie hashtag. Sonic the Hedgehog. Make Cortana fuckable. (laughs) (laughs) All right, broadcaster. uh, Are you ready to talk about the movie that you have already glowingly endorsed in our intro? Nightmare Alley. I mean, I got to take a shit. And we're back with our review of Gilmer Tortoros. Nightmare Alley. And uh, the creator of this film noir describes it as the following. An ambitious carny with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words hooks up with a female psychiatrist who's even more dangerous than he is. Uh, Broadcaster, uh, I think everyone listening to this podcast uh, who didn't jump ahead on YouTube with a timestamp Already knows your feelings about this movie, but uh, why don't you sum it up for us, broadcaster? Uh, what 
What's your take on Guillermo del Toro's masterpiece of uh, film noir? It's long and boring. It is really long, isn't it? <laughs> it could have been cut down at yeah. least 40 minutes. <laughs> I feel like it really took away from the whole thing because you just found yourself like feeling like the film was going nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Molly being as pivotal in all the scenes that she was in and then switching to Kate Blanchett, you know, and... I don't know, and big names like Ron Perlman and and Willem Dafoe hanging around there and stuff like that. I don't know, man. And then the whole thing at the end was like the big moment was him being a geek, a homeless like a homeless man on his last leg getting asked to be a geek at the carnival. Like that's I don't know. It no one knew what a geek was. If they before watching this movie, I don't think anybody watching this movie would, in hindsight, would look back to that moment and be like, oh, yeah, that was a pretty pivotal moment for the character, (laughs) wasn't it? You know, like he really felt bad for that geek. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I don't know, man. It just seemed like a letdown to me. Hmm. Yeah. Especially for two and a half hours. Like, that was not good, no good payoff. Hmm. Really slow pace. Kate Blanche is hot as fucking. Okay. This movie. Yeah. Let's start um, with that broadcaster so... because that is my number one takeaway from this movie is that holy fuck, Kate Blanchett is aging like the finest wine that ever existed. She Indeed. is so hot in this movie. I think she's hotter in this movie than she was in two thousand. 2000 when she filmed lord of the rings like 21 years ago i swear to god that bitch is hotter now it's the craziest thing she is a fox yeah it's crazy but that was uh the direction five stars this movie gets in the category i think that the direction of this movie is amazing like the colors like the i think that he portrays film noir perfectly in this movie, in terms of color saturation, direction, film angles, uh, all that sort of thing. I think where he falls off, first of all, the music. The music was a dud. I don't know what happened with this movie's soundtrack, but it just wasn't good. And Film Noir always has good music. That's the first big letdown. Number two, you just really touched on the length. This movie did not need to be two and a half hours long. At all. In fact, I think it was 240, right? It was more than two and a half hours long. Yeah, no, it went over. Not needed. Uh, you could have easily cut 40 minutes out of this, made it a tight Easy. two hours, and it would have been a much better movie. This is where hubris comes in, where Gilmo Dortoro has a lot of fans now, and he has a lot of clout in Hollywood, and I think this is one of those times where... You need a no man, not a yes man. Like when he's like, two hours, 40 minutes isn't too long for this movie, right, guy? And that guy's like, oh, of course, Gilmo, you're the man. You know, He needed someone to be like, actually, bro, you're tripping. Yeah. The whole joint. Th- Was this based on a true story? This is based on a book from the 30s. And okay. there was, or no, maybe it, no. It's Which probably means it's a true story. <laughs> it's a book from the 40s. Uh, because it takes place in the 30s, but it was the book was written in the 40s, and then I think the first movie adaptation of this book was in the 50s. 
So this is the second version of this book in movie form. But, you know, no one's going to watch a fucking movie from the 50s who's even alive right now, right? Like, how many people who are alive in the year 2022 are willing to go back and watch a movie from the 40s or 50s? Like, that is real dedication to, like, ancient I mean, I I think you can only go back, like, 20 years max from where you were born. That's what I think, too. You know, like, anything past that, I think you really start to get so far removed. It's like me trying to watch Gone with the Wind, or something like that. What was it? Is it is it Gone with the Wind? Yeah, I would like, use a better example though, because me and you, we don't really like movies like Gone with the Wind anyway. But we do like good sci-fi. So think about like the original War of the Worlds. That's a sci-fi. It's a classic sci-fi. It's in both of our wheelhouses. I don't think either of us would go back and watch it because it's just too no. fucking old. Like yeah. it's just too fucking old. And I love sci-fi, but I just can't do it. Uh, I agree with you. Um, I'm watching. I've been watching Knight Rider recently, and that was actually made in the early 80s before I was born, but not much before, just like four or five years before I was born. And it is rough to watch, dude. It is Is rough. Dude, the the effects are so cheesy. Like, it is is so hard to watch. The special effects are like a joke. It's, It's like if you saw them today, you'd be like, these people are joking, right? This is like a parody. That's what you would think watching. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, but you wouldn't say that about Miami Vice or Magnum PI, would you? No. And speaking of, I want you know, I want to bring up another positive element of this movie. Our boy Pete, who is uh, the guy who teaches um, Bradley Cooper how to be a confidence man, or no, that's not really a confidence man. What do they call the? They have a word for it in the mentalist. movie. Mentalist. Yeah, teaches him how to be a mentalist. Yeah. That is our boy David Stratham who is uh oh god what what was his character's name in the expanse i love him in the Ooh. expanse uh ashford he's ashford in the expanse oh, he yeah. is amazing he he and by the way he was in miami vice back in the day he's been in so much shit he was in like a midnight summer's dream the blacklist fucking oh he's a great actor he was in godzilla he was in fucking uh the chick that gave him the hand job in the bathtub was a good actress too yeah yeah, you know yes also he was dude i don't know if you ever saw this uh 90s movie called la confidential did you ever see that i'm trying to think it Dude, he was in that, and I think does that, that have uh, Antonio Banderas? No, Antonio, no, 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 Antonio no, no, Benicio. It has it has Kevin Spacey and Russell Crowe and Danny DeVito, but uh, Kim Basinger's in it, and this is when Kim Kim Basinger was a fucking fox, and uh, David Strathairn was in that too, and he was fucking amazing in it. He is a really he's one of those actors that you don't think you you've heard of or know but then like if you were to look at his IMDb you'd just be like, "Oh fuck, he's been in everything." And he was really yeah. good in this movie. He played like the sympathetic old man who was in love with this woman who thought he thought she was still in love with him, 
but he she clearly wasn't like the second Bradley Cooper showed up she threw him in the bathtub and jerked him off like in two seconds like it's just like okay and this guy is all like you know such a gentleman he like leaves and like kisses her hand and does like the au revoir like French shit like and, and she just like turns around and just starts fucking anything that moves I feel I feel for him in this movie and I thought that his acting performance was just eloquent. It was just a great acting performance from him. Especially the moment when Bradley Cooper walks in and delivers his booze and says, "You know what, sir? I want to learn from you." And he and like the way he reacts where he's just like, "Oh, no no one's wanted to learn from me in a long time and like I'm a horrible actor, obviously, but the way he delivers this line back to him, I'm just like, that is real. That is some real shit right there. It's old man energy. It was good. I I really liked him in it. Uh, I really, really, really didn't like Ron Perlman in this. Uh, First of all, Ron Perlman is a punk bitch in real life, and so it's hard to watch him in anything now. Putting that aside, Ron Perlman's acting performance in this movie was fucking throwaway garbage. They shouldn't have even paid it. His character was a throwaway. (laughs) It was a it was a throwaway character. His entire claim to fame in this movie is he shows up in a scene to threaten Bradley Cooper if Bradley Cooper like hurts the love interest. uh, What was her name again? Was it Molly? I thought it was like Margaret or something. Or maybe it was Molly. Yeah, Molly. Okay. If you hurt Molly, I'm going to give you all five fingers. Like, that's his moment in the movie. It's just, like, the cringiest, most wooden acting. He sucks so bad in this movie. I don't even know why they cast him. I don't know why they casted a lot of the big names in this movie. All he needed was Kate Blanchett, and that's all I'm saying. Oh, God. She was the star of this movie. I'm sorry, Bradley Cooper. I like you as an actor. I think you're in a lot of good movies. I deserve her. (laughs) But Kate Blanchett, man, holy fuck that woman. I don't even know. I mean, like, she's probably, like, 30 years older than Molly, and I would take her over Molly in a heartbeat. <laughs> like, that's... Yeah, Cooper made that same decision. He did. <laughs> he did. He made that call, too, and I respect him for it. How old uh, is his name? Carlisle? Uh, Mr. Carlisle? Is that the character's name? Uh, you talking about Bradley Cooper's character? Yeah. I think it was Stan, right? I think they called him Stan. Was it Stan Carlisle? It might they always have been. said his last name. I don't. I don't. I only remember hearing Stan. I don't remember hearing a Carlisle. But you could be right. You know. I. I don't know. This was a long movie. <laughs> it's hard to to keep up with what every character is calling each other. There are a lot of characters in this movie too. There are two yeah. distinct halves. The first half of the movie completely takes place at a carnival when Bradley Cooper's younger. The second half takes place. Totally different. It reminds me of uh, another old movie uh, called, uh, was it Metro- Metropolis or Metropolon? There was this old school movie back in the day that had like these really sharp looking buildings like from the 30s, similar to the way they depict the second half of this movie where like the building that Kate Blanchett's character like works in that building like all the buildings were like that in metropolis liminal yeah like they have that look that it's hard to describe but like when you see you're like oh yeah that look 
Yeah. It's, uh... Which half did you like the most? The first half or the second half? Because they're totally different. You could almost call this two movies. The first half could be its own movie, and the second half could be the sequel to that movie. I don't know, because the the most pumped I was for the movie was at the very beginning, when he, like... Yeah. He burned down the house and then he got on the bus and he fell asleep and he woke up and I saw the carnival through the windows and stuff. I was like, oh, dude, this is a really cool intro. It reminded me of of a Goosebumps book. Like if they made an adult Goosebumps book. (laughs) But then it like, but then pretty much that whole segment of the movie kind of let me down. Willem Dafoe did a really good job. Yeah, he was You know, them them chasing down the geek was, you know, it wasn't bad. It was, it was kind of a cool little thing, them going in the fun house. I expected a little bit more horror from it, you know, in that regards. But I guess that was just my expectations. But for the most part, that half of the movie was kind of boring. It was kind of just a setup for him to learn the skill needed for him to, like, really tell the story of his character, which is him turning into essentially a criminal, a fraud. And getting mixed yeah. up with an even crazier fraud. I wouldn't call her a fraud. She's just fucking a criminal. But she, uh, dude, you're talking about Kate Blanchett, Kate, right? Yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. she carried this movie so hard. Yeah, like, think, think yeah. about like if Bradley she, Cooper wasn't that bad. He was he good, but he yeah. was understated. And I think the role meant for him to be. You know, one thing I noticed about the beginning of this movie, he Bradley Cooper does not actually have a line. In the first 30 minutes of this movie, he's just silent. He like makes head first nods. The first time he says anything is in the geek chase. When he, yep. he the first line he do, says is to the geek. Yep. He says, Hey, come on out of there. I don't have anything against you. Yeah. Or whatever he says. Yeah. It was, uh, it was like 30 minutes into the movie, I think. It was a long time. Like for the most, and I think that's what you're talking about where you thought you were like excited at the beginning with like the intro and you're like, Oh, this looks good. I think that there was an element of like what's happening here early on because the way the movie starts with him putting a body in a house and then burning the house down, walking away from it, getting on a bus, falling asleep and waking up at this. There was like this this element to me and I, I don't know if this was how it was for you, but early, early on, like what we're talking about with the bus ride, I looked at that and I'm like, okay. This could be like a situation where he's already dead and he's like in a purgatory right now, like reliving like the the crimes that brought him to hell sort of situation. He may not even really be alive. This may not be real. He could like there's a lot of these like sort of esoteric existential thoughts in my head kind of rolling around early on. But as the movie progresses it makes it clear that no, this is really happening. Every everything is on the level. There's no like mystery here, and I that's kind of where I I don't I don't want to say I lost interest in the movie, but it's where my interest was tamed. Yeah, I mean, I think you're churching it up because you like this movie more than me. Well, I, I thought there were super. Okay, so this is the way I'll put it. Early on, I thought there were supernatural elements to this movie. I didn't understand what they were, what was happening, but I thought they were there. There are yeah. absolutely no supernatural elements in this movie. Well, yeah, I think they purposely did that, but then they purposely dissolved all that, like in the progression of the storyline. It only served for the, the moment he started talking. 
it shifted away. It did. Yep, that's it exactly the it. whole atmosphere mm-hmm. because you're just like, oh, okay, he it, he actually is kind of just a dullard <laughs> that's going <laughs> to learn a skill uh-huh. and eventually become a fucking criminal sociopath. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so you never answered though. What first half or second half? What's your favorite half of the movie? Second half for sure. Okay, good. Me too. Even though I agree with you on the promise of the first half, it was quelched pretty <laughs> him, quick. Him like making Molly put the blood on her hands and shit like that. I was I was cracking up that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was like, great. This, I was like, this guy is committed to the grift, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is fucking committed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you know. And one thing I'll say is kind of weird to me, and this is probably just like a book fact that they just had to stick to. But when they did the 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 second half skip, when they go two years later and the second half of the movie two starts. years later. <laughs> I was looking at it, I'm like, nah, this is ten years later. This is not two years later. When you look at Bradley Cooper, the way they're portraying him, the way he looks, the way she looks, like the discontent in their relationship, you're like, no. This isn't two years later. This is a, this is like eight years later. This is nine years later. But they said two years later, and I thought that was a mistake. And I think they're probably just sticking with a fact from the book. In the book, they skipped two years. But when you really look at this movie itself, I think it should have been longer. It didn't make sense. Like, Bradley Cooper legitimately looks a lot different when they go to the second half. Like, he does not look like the same person almost. Well... The grift can do a lot to you, you know, especially when it's a successful grift and you're making money. (laughs) It can. It can. Uh, Man, Uh, what did you think about Mary Steenburgen showing up? That was really weird. I haven't seen her in anything in like fucking for since uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm season three or whatever back in like 2004. I haven't seen her in anything. Mary Steenburgen, she was she was the wife. Uh, okay, so you know, okay. So, oh, she was Kimball's wife. Yes, she was Kimball's wife. And yeah, I was. Yeah, she yeah. was the thing that you'll probably remember her from is Back to the Future Three, the one that takes place in the Western. You've seen that, right? Yeah. What well, she was uh, the love interest. She was Doc's love interest well, in uh, Back to yeah, the Future but, Three. Yeah, but she was also fun fact. Kimball and her, the actor that played Kimball, and what's her name again? Mary Steenburgen. Mary Steenburgen, they were the mother and dad and stepbrothers. Oh the, my God, you're right. Holy yeah. shit. I did not realize that. Yeah, that's oh. the first thing I noticed was they were both in the show or the movie. I was like, oh, snap, that's kind of cool for them to reunite in that way. Yeah, <laughs> man. I did not re- I did not recognize Kimball as the dad. Like They yeah. made him look a lot different, but you're right. That I, was fucking yeah. him. Yeah, for sure. He's he he wears a wig well. <laughs> Damn, and a dude. and a beard. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, I think I think this movie does do a lot of things right. I think that if if they shortened it, like we said, if they brought it down to a crisp two hours, I think I think both of us would probably have different ratings for this movie in the end. Don't do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not a terrible movie. It doesn't have, like, the worst writing in the world. It doesn't have the worst direction in the world. I, I mean, no. it, it, could, it's a good ha- change it, could, it could definitely improve with the direction because, again, they could have cut 40-plus minutes out of this movie. So that definitely puts some onus on the direction. <laughs> yeah. Nonetheless, it's, it's solid writing. It's a good story. 
It was. Great actors. None of the actors were poor in that movie. No. No one was bad. Uh, oh, no. Ron Perlman was bad. Yeah, well, I mean, he only had, like, what, two minutes of dialogue? Maybe? He did, but he did not make anything out of it. Like, his role in that movie is a fucking joke, and I'm just, like, yeah. laughing my ass off at him. Like, why would you even take it? He must be desperate for roles, because he used to be... He was Hellboy. Like, he was a leading... Like, for him to take this, like, two-minute role in a three-hour movie I'm just, it, where he does nothing but make a joke out of himself, I'm just like, God damn, man. What yeah, happened? He's just, That's his default mode now i guess man willem dafoe on the other hand he's mo- like he's mostly only in the first half there is one scene in the second half where they all come back and visit and you know i'll say this about that scene uh when this scene happened for a for a second or two i was thinking maybe i'm wrong maybe like the supernatural elements started come back to my head where I'm like, maybe something is going on here. Cause I thought it was really weird how they just showed up like from across the country. And got to remember this takes place in the thirties. This is not like trains, planes and automobiles. This is like the fucking old days when it wasn't easy to travel across country in the fucking winter. And they all just show up in, um, where does this take place? The the second half. Do you know? Like, is it supposed to be New York? What it's? I can't. I don't know where it's supposed to be set. I think it is New York. Okay, yeah, it's some. I think it's somewhere in New York. It's supposed to be set there. And when they just show up like that, and they're just all in the room with his girlfriend that he like stole from them to bring to the big city that he is like currently like planning on cheating on with Kate Blanchett, which we can't blame him. Can't no, blame him. Not at all. <laughs> this was a weird moment where it's like, yeah, if this weren't real, if this was supernatural, if he was in purgatory, this is what would happen. He would be confronted with this in this exact way. And I sort of got excited for a minute, but then it ends quickly and nothing comes of it. And you're just like, okay, never mind. This was nothing really happened with it. Like, was there any implication from that whole scene like that really mattered for the rest of the movie? I can't think of any. It was almost just like, we need to get these guys in one scene in the second half. That's almost what it felt like. Yeah, it's like it, it definitely had a contractual feel to it, no mm-hmm. doubt. <laughs> yeah. No doubt about it. I don't know. It could, again, it's all based off a book. And I, I don't know, that when you told me how many times it's been redone... It makes me kind of think that it's kind of this weird, like, actors, actors movie, you know, mm-hmm. like, I'll bet it's, it not, is. it's not one like we'll totally get. But actors love it for some reason, because it has like a weird Hollywood history or something yeah. like that. And that's why you see people like Ron Perlman and Willem Dafoe ready to do like, you know, small bit parts and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And uh, speaking of um, there's a connection here. Uh, originally Leonardo DiCaprio was going to play the main character of this movie. By the way, I will tell you right now, uh, Gilmo del Toro, good, good job not casting him because he would have sucked as this character. This was not a Leonardo DiCaprio character. He made the right choice. Not, I don't know why he ended up going with Bradley Cooper, but he made the right choice. Uh, wow. You're one of those people that thinks DiCaprio doesn't deserve a, an Emmy. 
I think DiCaprio is amazing. I love him in a lot of movies, but he this was not his movie. Like he would have sucked as that character, um, Stan or whatever Emmy? his name is. Which one? Am I getting backwards? Is it Oscar or Emmy? <laughs> Who knows? I, awards aren't real. About awards are awards. fake. Okay. Uh, what I will say is that there is a connection here with Ron Perlman. So the re. The, the thing that DiCaprio went and shot instead of this movie was Don't Look Up, the Netflix movie right now that's been tanking on Netflix. It's like a global warming propaganda movie, which has both Kate Blanchett and Ron Perlman in it. What? And I'm going to tell you right now, as hot as Kate Blanchett was in Nightmare Alley, I don't tell I I will not tell you to go look, watch Don't Look Up because it is a horrific um, propaganda movie is just literally like a bunch of left wing people telling you how important global warming is and how they're right about everything and how you're wrong about everything. It's like, okay, whatever. But the point is, is Kate Blanchett in that movie? Holy shit, is she hot? This woman must be bathing in the blood of virgins. I don't get it, broadcaster, but something's going on with Kate Blanchett. Dude, it's genes, man. Some people age with grace, some people. Yeah, fall apart like Skeletor. Right, but the the <laughs> the reason I brought this up is because you're talking about how this might be a meta movie with actors loving it, but like actual people not liking it as much. That's what okay. Don't Look Up is apparently. I've heard that from multiple sources that like all of the actors and all of like the Hollywood people love Don't Look Up, and they're really butthurt that Ooh, actual I'm sure people they say that. hate it. <laughs> I'm sure they say that to the media because that's like I don't, I don't even know, man. I just in my deepest heart, I hope Kate's fucking spaced, based yeah. as fuck. I just I hope so. Yeah. Uh, so getting back to Willem Dafoe a little bit though. I, why? He, why though, dude? Why can't we talk about Kate more? <laughs> <laughs> I see her every time my eyes close, broadcaster. Uh, Willem Dafoe, this this is probably like one of his worst performances of all time, but it's still good because Willem Dafoe's a fucking legend and almost all of his other performances are just like S plus tier. Not really a dig at him. It's just like the character he played, the writing, the, the role, like it's all, he did what he could with it, but it, it was pretty weak for most of his roles. Like, okay, we'll agree with that. But the one part about it I loved is... When he took Bradley Cooper to get rid of the geek, the geek number one. Remember, like, they they basically fucked him up to the point where he was going to die. They, like, take him into the city and drop him off at the Red Cross. And Bradley Cooper's all like, we can't just leave him here in the rain. We got to, like, get him under the curb or whatever. And, and Willem Dafoe's like, no, no, fuck that. Don't pretend like you care about that motherfucker. Hey, listen, steak and eggs on me. Let's go right now. Hey, that yeah, that was his best yeah. line in the movie, yeah. and it reminded me of Dennis from Always Sunny. It was like yeah. something Dennis from Always Sunny would say. <laughs> and the his Gotta second, separate the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> I think his second best moment in this movie was right after that, when they're in the diner eating the steak and eggs, and he gives Bradley Cooper the rundown on like what he's been doing with the geeks, and he explains to him 
how, you know, he lures in like some homeless guy who thinks he's going to like actually have a real job and it pays him in bourbon, but he laces the bourbon with opium and gets him all fucked up. Like, I loved that explanation. I loved the acting from Willem Dafoe as he's giving the explanation, eating his, like, runny, sunny-side-up egg as he's, like, telling him the story. And Bradley Cooper's just sitting across from him just looking at him like, am I eating eggs with Satan? Like, it was, I love that whole scene. <laughs> that was a great scene in this movie. And it had a lot of implications for the ending, too. Which I like as well. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Two and a half hours to get there. Back to Cape Blanchett. Oh my god. <laughs> Dude, when she opens her shirt and there's just that scar, I was like, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> 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 fucking <laughs> Bradley Cooper starts kissing that I was like yeah dude yep. <laughs> that probably wasn't even on script I was like, he probably just started doing that <laughs> that was improvised the way Kate's <laughs> eyes just kind of like rolled away in the cutscene <laughs> so it's like that was real <laughs> <laughs> Bradley Bradley <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah so, so to surmise here uh, after this uh, Bradley Cooper uh, starts learning the art of mentalism from uh, from our boy Ashford, who he's fucking his wife, and uh, eventually he gets better at it than him, and then he accidentally, quote unquote, accidentally gives Ashford the fucking, the wood alcohol that poisons him to death. And uh, then, you know, he goes after, what was her name? The, the female love interest? Molly? Molly. Okay. Yeah. He goes to Molly. He's like, hey, I have this idea. Let's, like, leave and, like, fuck these people. Let's go be better than them. And she's like, I'm not ready for that. And then, you know, a bunch of nonsense happens. This is where that cut that we were talking about, there, there's a big cut available here. They could have cut right from there all the way to the point where the police show up, and it would have been fine. But there, I think there's, like, 20 minutes of bullshit that happens in between there, if I recall. But either way, uh, some shit happens and the police show up and Bradley Cooper has his coming out party where he's he does his mentalism on the cop, gets the cop to bounce and fucking Molly gets, you know, Molly's pussy gets wet and she's like, OK, let's go now. I'm ready to go. And yeah. uh, and they just bounce. Uh, and, uh, and one of the good parts about this I liked was when. She, when uh, Bradley Cooper went to like the the floozy's house, the psychic who was you know cheating with him on Ashford, and she's like you want you want Ashford's book back, and she's just like hell no. <laughs> that was great. I just I just love the acting from her. Hell no. <laughs> like there, it was just stone cold. I love that, and he just like kind of gave her a smirk and just walked back to the truck. And then you s slowly see it fade to Molly being in the truck with him. They bounce. That's the end of the first the first half of the movie. First half oh, of the yeah. movie is is a D for sure. I don't want to give it an F because this is the young. This is a story for young bucks out there, right? It's a story <laughs> of going pussy crazy. All right. Look what the pussy did to Bradley Cooper. Made him mad. Started drinking wood with alcohol and with opium. Okay. Then he became a geek. All right. So you need to stay strong. Keep that seed in you, boys. Okay. All right, Theo Vaughn. Uh, let's get to the second half now where... 
basically that we get the two years later where we are already kind of talked about it a little bit. You know, they're like, it seems more like 10 years later. They're disgruntled. They're not really feeling it like they were two years ago, quote unquote, when they were like fucking humping each other's legs. (laughs) And uh, they've basically become this like kind of cheap carnival act within like a fancy hotel. And he does his little confidence game thing, his mentalist thing on Kate Blanchett, like the very first show they show you on film, Kate Blanchett shows up. And when she first, they, the camera first hits her and they show her with her hat on and like, she kind of tips it up and looks up. That was noir as fuck. Dude, that was the most noir scene I've seen in my entire life. When I was watching that, I'm like, this is it. This is what this is. And Kate Blanchett, back to you for a second. We haven't talked about you enough. God damn it, Kate Blanchett. God put a little something extra into you. But anyway, <laughs> she calls him on his grift. She like calls him out and like, you're a fucking phony. Tell me what's in my bag. He guesses like a real true grifter. Yes. He fucking spins it, dude. He, <laughs> he spins it. Dude. He, he spins it hard. And uh, she's not convinced, but she knows the crowd's convinced. So she just backs down. And uh, she sort of begins her grift on him. And that's what the second half of this movie is. He immediately goes from grifter to grifty before anything can even happen. Like he literally oh, yeah. learns his power Gets the oh, girl, dude. leaves, she, and then immediately becomes the grifty. Kate Kate Blanchett equilibrium Bradley Cooper. Yeah, for dude, sure. She, like she whipped out the final move at the end, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she didn't teach Bradley to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so she like she like brings him into the office because she knows he's a grifter, but she like wants to learn more about him, see if she can grift him, and she immediately recognizes the guy has mommy issues that the they, Bradley Cooper wants him some Kate Blanchett. Again, we're not blaming like this is, this is a safe space. We all understand why, uh, but she takes advantage of this shit fully immediately and puts him on this track to make her money and then to frame him as a psychopath so she can steal all his money. Yeah. <laughs> and it is you can see it coming a mile away, but it still has gravitas when it goes down. Like when she finally reveals that she's been scamming him, like you can still feel the gravity of it. You're like, oh, oh man, Bradley, come on, man. Yeah, the moment like she saw the, or the like Bradley walked into that office the first time, like I got like Queen Spider vibes. Oh I like, yes, dude. I was like, dude, you are in the layer yes. right now, dude. Yeah. You're in the yeah. web. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's put it this way: if uh, if Microsoft decides to make a StarCraft television series called StarCraft the series, <laughs> Kate oh, Blanchett God, is immediately and absolutely playing Kerrigan, the Queen of Blades. She <laughs> she is the Queen of Blades, or or, or let's hear this one out. <laughs> okay, Pornhub <laughs> company. <laughs> Stay with me. Stay with me. <laughs> Allows deep fakes back. I mean, no. <laughs> okay, let's get back on track here. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so Kate Blanchett basically like starts to build her evidence uh, pile against him while pretending to be his ally. She sends him 
to uh, the the man himself, who ends up being like the main focus of the second half, uh, Kimball. Yeah, Kimball. Uh, who <laughs> who immediately like goes CIA mode on him. I like this part of the movie too, where he shows up hey. to meet with Kimball, and Kimball has like yeah. three CIA spooks. Yeah, and he's like. <laughs> Uh, you stand over here. This is called a lie detector, bo- motherfucker. You're gonna go <laughs> like he like puts him on the lie detector. I loved the way that he grifted that lie detector. Yeah, dude, that the, was so good. That, that was, was a work of art. Scenes, to be honest, for sure, it was amazing. And and so he gets he gets him on the take, and he reports back to Kate Blanchett, and Kate Blanchett's like, "Damn, this little pony. I'm gonna ride this little pony all the way to the bank," and. So he continue. She continues to kind of give him information on him, so that she can he can further grift while she's grifting him. It's beautiful. Like this whole part of the movie is is beautiful. Eventually, the the little tidbits of information that Bradley Cooper has stop working, and Kimball's like, "Listen, motherfucker, I get it. You know, and all this shit. You got to give me results." And this is where another great movie part of the movie comes up where he goes back to his girlfriend who he stole from the carnival that he's just like literally abandoned for Kate Blanchett. Again, we don't blame him. And he's like, listen, one last grip, baby. <laughs> I, I need you to dress as a ghost and put blood on your ass. Which is like <laughs> my favorite part of this whole movie. Like so the final parts of this movie escalate fast. It let do, me tell you. They do. <laughs> When, this, she, <laughs> when he says like it's that easy baby that <laughs> I was just I was dying <laughs> you have to be so psychopathic to have that straight of a face you're going up to the girl you abandoned be like listen I just need you to act like this dead judge's girl that he fucking murdered dude like <laughs> he just wants some resolve <laughs> you know, like. and, and Molly is one loyal bitch man like I can't believe she goes with it she, she was a good bottom bitch (laughs) dude at this point molly understands that bradley cooper is deep six in cape Blanchett. she knows it and she's like i'm gonna help you anyway and i'm just like that is one loyal hoe like damn that i can't believe that that's happening but it's happening and uh so bradley well no well bradley cooper catches her trying to leave Right, right. Yeah, there's a whole scene oh, we're does. kind of skipping over, which is one of the yeah. parts of the movie I thought was kind of lame. And it could, this could have been cut material too. What do you think? The whole part with her trying to leave because there nothing. I think it, it would very, have been more weight if she did leave. Right, and he did get fucked. And when it happened, you I know. thought she was going to leave. But when she didn't leave and she agreed to help him, it kind of invalidated the whole thing. It didn't invalidate it. It just made it like, well, do we really need to waste 30 minutes on this in a three hour movie? I don't think so. We could cut this down a little bit, but anyway, yeah, she ends up staying to do one more grift with him. And, uh, Bradley Cooper leads Kimball out into like this really cool snowy park that reminds me of, uh, it reminded me of the shining, the original shining with Jack Nicholson, uh, it, you remember that maze that he goes in at the end of the movie in The Shining? Yeah. That's kind of what this reminded me of. I don't know if it reminded you of that, but this like weird park that they're in that's covered in snow. It, well, it's literally a maze. It's a maze right. garden. That's what it looked like. And uh, at this point, 
this guy. This this is like one of the darkest parts of the movie, I think. Uh this guy just starts like opening up to to fucking Bradley Cooper. <laughs> he just likes like it's like, dude, uh Man, I, I've just done so many bad things. Probably could be like, you mean like other than like force forcibly aborting with a coat hanger your wife? Other than that, he's like, yeah, man, like I'm I'm like finding seventeen year old runaways and like fucking them and murdering them and putting them in shallow graves and like he just like starts opening up to him. And again, another great moment for Bradley Cooper, his facial acting in these scenes, this in this scene specifically with him, it reminded me of. Uh, Richard Dean Anderson. You know, a lot of people don't respect MacGyver, uh, but Richard Dean Anderson has some of the best facial acting in the game. And the, and Bradley Cooper, I feel like studied under him with these scenes, like where you see him sort of reacting to the what Kimball's telling him, and he's just like, "Fuck, dude, I'm like grifting Satan himself." And then uh, his girl shows up, Molly. It's like the there's like cheese. And bloody hands. The bloody <laughs> bloody Mary shows up, and uh, and he just turns around. He's like, "Oh, is that you?" I forget what the the name of the kid she's supposed to be playing or whatever is, but like he's like, "Is that you?" And and like this whole scene unfolds and. I didn't like it after this point. Like when the actual interaction happened between Molly and Kimball, it seemed like really at first it's like, why would you think it's her? Like you're a normal human being. You're not drunk. You're not high. You see a person appear. It's just a person. It's not like an apparition. It's just a person. You're just immediately like, that's the ghost of my dead kid who grew up 30 years. Like what? Like that whole oh, well, part. I, mean, I dude, was like, I, come that's on. totally believable, dude. I mean, he believed the con the whole time. He they, did, people but fool come themselves, but fool themselves into believing that but, shit. Right, but then, like, after a few like sentences, he immediately was like, "No, this is a fake. You faked me, Bradley Cooper." So it's like, wait a second. You believed it at first, but then, like, a couple of lines, you're like totally out. I don't know. Like, I couldn't. That brought me out of it a little bit. I'm just like, listen, if he is dumb enough to believe it's her in the first place, he's probably dumb to keep believing it's her. But how quickly he decided that he was being conned felt weird to me after he accepted it so fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I don't think he was meant to close the distance. That's why when he started like moving towards her, Brad was like, wait. And he's like, oh, shit. Like that whole. Oh, like- for sure. Yeah, that's the reasoning. I get it, but I, I still, I still don't buy it. I don't buy the character's lack of intelligence, then more intelligence just based on him getting a little closer. It's like she wasn't a green, see-through, glowing apparition at a distance, and became a human when you got close. She was a human both at both distances. I, I don't know. I just couldn't get my, I couldn't go with that. I, I thought that was bullshit. But then, you know, as soon as he's like, I'm going to ruin you, you scammed me. And then Bradley Cooper fucking mercs the motherfucker. That was real. That was some real shit. He punched his fucking nose off. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like the horror of Molly as she watched him do it. That was real, too. (laughs) (laughs) Molly just fucking loyal all the way to the end. Just in for a ride, dude. Her innocence was gone. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, like they they make a getaway, and then she leaves for real, and 
<laughs> this is where I think the movie could have ended. It could have, yeah. I think Whoa. this could have been the ending of the movie. However, we wouldn't have known at that point that our girl, Kate Blanchett, betrayed him. Because this is when we find out. She, we knew that she was going to betray him. But the movie itself didn't tell us that till right now. So he comes back to her. She's like, he's like, yeah, I killed him. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I need the money. Let's go. And she's like, okay, here's the money. And she hands him a bunch of ones. <laughs> that was some gangster shit. That was, that reminded me of Street Fighter, the movie, when fucking M. Bison, <laughs> M. Bison handed over the cash and it was Bison Bucks. And he's like, yeah, that dude. will be redeemable very soon, okay? <laughs> like, that is totally what it reminded me of. She had the same energy as M. Bison in that scene and I loved it. <laughs> Dude, she was a mastermind. Hell yeah. Because <laughs> that Jesus, like, fucking clearly is fucked up. And he's, she's like, well, here's your reward. <laughs> Big guy. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he's like, no, I'll tell on you. And she's like, oh, really? Well, here are all my recordings. It's going to put you in the loony bin. And uh, again, you know, this will be the final time I say it. But Kate Blashett literally carries this movie on her back. She kind of is the movie without her and her performance. I would have a drastically different view of this movie. Yeah, no, this is the only reason I kind of stuck around for the second part. Mm-hmm. I was really like disappointed in the first part. <laughs> so, so Bradley Cooper starts choking her out and then the cops show up or the security guards, whatever. And, uh, he runs away and, uh, <laughs> He like runs to a train and he gets in the train and then he falls asleep just like he does on the bus at the beginning of the movie. Now I like this. This is good symbolism. See when he wakes up, he's at another carnival. And this is where like the whole like the first half of the movie comes back into play and it's where like, okay, everything that happened in the second half was leading to this part that's going to reference the first half, and that's this whole geek thing. So, let's talk about this. You don't like this movie. This is the twist. I mean, unless you were fooled by Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I wasn't personally, but maybe some people are like, oh my god, she betrayed him? I wasn't that. But the second part, or this final part of the movie did kind of surprise me a little bit. I did not see the, this coming where he was going to become the geek. And I was kind of like, God damn, that is a fall from grace. And the way they sort of pin it together with the same, I'm falling asleep on a bus. Now I'm falling asleep on a train. It's like the same thing happening. I liked the, I don't know what the term is, uh, not visualization, the analogy between the two, maybe, I just liked that the way they dealt with that and the way that he was. And we kind of gloss over the fact that when he first starts grifting Kimball, he starts drinking heavily. And before that, he was always priding himself on never drinking. And the whole concept of a geek is that they're an alcoholic and they're desperate for booze. So like he in the first half, they sort of frame him as like it's impossible for him to be a geek because he doesn't drink. And then right when he starts fucking Kate Blanchett, he starts drinking. <laughs> and she sort of leads him into this path of becoming this alcoholic. And then he he becomes the geek in the end. Now, what did you think about this ending? This this final ten minutes of the movie? 
I thought it was a waste. So I think you just not do it. So but when, then again, I was already like on two hours and 20 minutes. So I was just really looking for the movie to end. Right. The, the movie just seemed like it didn't need like the whole geek storyline could have just not been in there. It could have like, yeah, it didn't seem necessary. It didn't, it would didn't bear on anybody besides Bradley Cooper's character. And the only reason that I don't, I don't know where I'm going with it. I just felt like I didn't like it. It was dumb. It was, it just felt boring to me. The geeks Mm. like, I didn't even know what a geek was. And then the way like there's like, oh yeah, he's an alcohol fiend. I was like, no, that's a fucking zombie vampire <laughs> fucking eating chickens, dude. <laughs> that's not an alcoholic. <laughs> that's, a, that's a vampire eating chickens, son. Uh, yeah. So yeah. the fact that like the movie ends with him supposedly becoming one of those things is because he drinks alcohol and he's homeless. I don't know. Or he's addicted to alcohol. It just seems, I don't know. Seems like far fetched and like not as suspenseful as they want it to be, you know, they're like, Oh, look at that. Bradley became that one thing from the middle of the movie that will, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying now, but it just feels like loose connection. And I think not, it probably it, came across a lot better in the book. Yeah, maybe I feel like, the shining moments of the storyline were him grifting Kimball. Like the, the ho from the point on where they were like, it was showed their grift at the hotel, Cape Blanchard getting introduced and the, you know, the, the session, the, the sessions with them and finding out his, his past with his mother and dad and stuff like that. That was all cool. But I feel like that's all the movie had to be. Like they could have whipped up some intro to lead in to that hotel scene, like the whole Carney thing and Molly and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. Molly could just been his existing wife. Stuff like that. I don't know. I'm not a fucking director or writer. I'm just saying. Yeah. The carnival, an hour of this movie felt maybe if they were two separate movies, you know, but one hour didn't make the other hour make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I disagree with you a little bit there. I I think it, I can see where they get like from the book, what's happening in this movie. And I get like how, like there's this like cyclical thing happening where the beginning is the end and the end is the beginning. Uh, I think that the movie, I think, you know, I love Guillermo del Toro. I love most of the shit he's in, most of the shit he does. I think this is one of his weaker offerings. Uh, did you ever see The Shape of Water? No. That was another movie he did that's like takes place in like the 30s, but it's a totally different movie, but it also takes place in like the same sort of time period. That was also that before this movie, that was my least favorite del Toro movie. And everyone loved it. Hollywood loved it. Like it won all these. I think it won like the Oscar for best movie when it came out. I believe that's true. I don't don't hold me to it, but I'm pretty sure it did. Like everyone in Hollywood loved it. And I thought I was like, this is his weakest shit. I think that he's kind of going down that road is like, oh, I'm going to keep doing this type of stuff because that's what Hollywood loves. And he's not making movies for his fans anymore. And that's sad. 
But yeah, one redeeming thing about this ending I want to say is, uh, you know, the Carney boss from the end where he like gets Bradley Cooper to become the geek. Yeah. Do you recognize him at all? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know the guy's name, but he's been in a lot. He he was in heavyweights. Yep. Donnie Brasco. Uh, <laughs> Minority Report, <laughs> Meet the Fockers. <laughs> like he's been in so many awesome movies as like this like kind of goofy guy. As soon as I saw him, like, oh, it's that motherfucker. <laughs> I think he's a perfect Cardi boss, right? Wasn't he the Fat Camp salesman? Yes, he is exactly what he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remember, because this is his famous line in it, in like the. Uh, uh, Harold, remember when he like when he was at Harold's parents' house, and Harold's like, "Are there going to be go karts?" And he just looks at him. He's like, "You bet there will be." With that creepy <laughs> smile, <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah, dude! <laughs> oh, he another had his thing. own show too, the Ballad of Ballad of Buster something. Scruggs, dude. Yeah, and that was yeah, a yeah. great movie. Did you ever watch that? No, it's a better movie than than uh, Nightmare Alley, I think. I, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Didn't have Kate Blanchett, probably, but no, there was no Kate Blanchett. But it 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 made up in other ways. So, so yeah. So you're you're not a big fan of the ending, I take it, uh, or the movie in general. That's okay. The payoff, I don't know, man. It's just the the first half didn't get me going that well. Then the second half was good, but then the payoff sucked, and I was just like, man, that was two and a half hours. It just felt like mediocre movie to me yeah uh before before we uh finish up i just i want to give one more prop to bradley cooper because at the very end of this final scene where (laughs) where he starts getting the speech about you know it's only temporary until we find a real geek uh you in and then bradley cooper like starts like laughing and crying at the same time and says that he was born for it. That was probably some of the best acting I've ever seen Bradley Cooper do. That was really good acting that he did in that scene. And that's the end. Like as soon as that's as soon as he utters that line, the credits roll. Maybe it's not as it's not his best movie. But I think that it's one of his better acting performances. You didn't like Sean Penn and Mystic River? (laughs) (laughs) All right, broadcaster. It's time to put up or shut up. As you know, here on the Crackseller podcast, we have a official patented Ghostbusters rating system. In that system, within that system, on that system, broadcaster, what do you rate Nightmare Alley? I don't know, man. It's like... <laughs> you don't know. It's like know, a... Man. Uh, it's like a gozer. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're going to give it a B. That's not. That's way better than I expected from you, honestly. I didn't think you were going to give it a, anything above a C. I was going to slime it, dude. I, slime. <laughs> I honestly, I was expecting a slime rod. <laughs> I can't. I can't slime Kate Blanchett. No, dude. dude hell <laughs> no, you can't. Fuck no. I mean, it's all right, dude. It, it, 
It's just too long. It's absurdly long. It's it's like definitively too long. <laughs> it is the definition <laughs> of too long. It straight up is. Like some people will be like saying Titanic was long. I was like Titanic showed some tits. Okay, there was payoff, dude. Yeah. And, and at the end, you were room for your boy Leonardo. <laughs> <laughs> and they also had the Phantom, dude. They mm-hmm. had the Phantom in that movie. Yeah. Anyways, I digress. Yeah, the movie was perfect amount of time with the amount of star power that yeah. movie had. This movie, it wasted a lot of its star talent. It uh, gave some people that I wouldn't. I would say have no star talent too much time mm-hmm. and it didn't have focus. It didn't have laser focus like it should have, which would have essentially been a soft core porno between Bradley and Kate Blanchett. But yeah, I was know. really sad. Like I honestly, like there were a few seconds during the scene, what you're talking about where she, the scar shows up and you're like, if he kisses the scar, I get it. Like <laughs> For a, split, for a split second, I thought we were going to see Kate Blanchett's tits, and I was oh so excited. I was like, "Yes, <laughs> this is why I watched this movie." But then, of course, it fades out, and it never happened. This but. movie would have been getting an X <laughs> immediately, a hard S. <laughs> oh man! Uh, but that didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, Hear that, Kate? That's all you need in the official <laughs> S review from the crack zone. It's you know you know it's weird. Uh, I Not really full frontal. Okay. <laughs> I really thought I was going to give this movie a higher rank than you did based off of the review, but somehow we're giving it the same rank. I'm gonna give it a gozer too. Uh, I think it was a good movie. It just wasn't great, and it wasted a lot of its potential. But it wasn't bad. Like, there's a lot of really bad movies out there. Uh, this ain't it. This isn't the. This is not the worst movie. The it's not the best movie in the world. It's refreshing at times. You know, it takes place in the 30s. It's Neuer, and it has some really good Neuer elements. It just has a lot of flaws to it too. That just prevents it from. It's this is not Pan's Labyrinth. Like this is not Del Toro's best oh, work, no. and it never. It's not. It never even gets really close. The only time it's close is the very beginning during that the bus ride that we talked about where he yeah. that is where at that point it's so early you're like it has the potential to be his best work but then it just evaporates and it it does some work to recover uh it's just uh has too many flaws and uh with that broadcaster we will close out anyways pornhub <laughs> Deep fakes. <laughs> they took them away sometime two years ago. Wasn't that weird? Like out but of there no... was a heyday of deep fakes. Let me tell you, we the... get a Kate Blanchett deep fake. Dude, I swear to God, like deep fakes came out like five years ago, and like all of a sudden you just saw like deep fakes of like a hundred celebrity chicks out of nowhere, and you're like, oh, this is it. Like, regular porn's gone. The entire internet is just going to be deep fake porn from now on. Then after that, you never saw deep fake again. They got rid of it real quick. Dude, like, they scrubbed it somehow. Like, I don't I don't even understand it's how. It's too strong of a tool, dude. But how like, did they do it? How did they stop people from doing it? Like, there has to be a very dark, sinister, shadowy enforcement mechanism for this. Because 
it's hard to get people to not do something that everyone wants to do. And fucking A, dude, deep fakes just vanished. Well, Pornhub's a CIA operation. 